Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph, he responds, and he's, 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 his desire is to really help their conscience be cleansed, to comfort their conscience. But notice what he does. He doesn't sweep their sin under the rug. No, you know, it wasn't really a big deal. I know you guys just didn't know what you were doing when you sold me to those, you know, uh, what were they, the Ishmaelites. It, it, don't even worry about it. It's not, I'm not, it didn't bother me. It's okay. It's okay. I don't know if you do that, but that's not okay to, to just sweep sin under the rug. You, get, you really have to address offenses. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He doesn't uh, undermine the evil that was committed, but instead he shows them how God used what they intended for evil to do something amazing. And I think that, that is the place to find encouragement about our mistakes. Isn't to pretend like it wasn't a big deal, it was just this little thing and it'll be overlooked. No, no. But to understand that God can use that mistake. That's how Joseph responds here. Now we understand God did not need them to sin to save many people. He could have saved multitudes without their murderous idea, but God chose to use their offense to bring about the salvation of many. He, he used this sick, ungodly, unloving offense by these brothers to bring about salvation for people. And I want to tell you guys, this happens throughout the Scriptures. And in, in these moments, you see God's sovereignty demonstrated like crazy. Now, some people really champion God's sovereignty and and to the point where they say, well, you know, God is so sovereign, you really didn't have a choice in the matter. You, you think you, he just lets you think you have a choice, but you don't. God, your, every day of your life is completely predestined and ordained and it doesn't matter what you want or choose to do. That, that's not necessarily the biblical sovereignty that we see. In fact, God is more sovereign than that. God is so sovereign that he can give every individual a free will to choose and still accomplish his will. That's how sovereign the God of the Bible is. God has given them the choice to murder their brother. They choose to attempt to murder him, but guess what? God turns around and uses that ugly sin to save millions of people from starvation. Why? Why would you do that, God? It's, It's brought up that when David sinned against Bathsheba, killed Uriah, the husband, you know who the successing king was to King David? It was King Solomon, Bathsheba's son. Why would God choose Bathsheba's son? It's because God takes messy situations and He uses them for good. He uses them for eternal and and kingdom work. Now the epitome of this, of course, is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. 
It is, it is the utter epitome of God taking an ugly situation and doing something amazing. This moment when so much sin manifested in this horrendous display of evil. You had the combination of the jealousy and the greed of the Jewish leaders who resented Jesus in His power and position or His spiritual authority. You had the cruelty and the tyranny of the Romans and that oppression, that brutality in their beatings. You had this angry mob, a bloodthirsty mob, this violence. All of this sin converging in this one moment to the surface, leading to the murder of not just an innocent man, but the Son of God Himself. I don't know if you count that day. We call it Good Friday. And we know the goodness about it, but there was nothing good about that moment when it was taking place. It was the ugliest, most horrific demonstration of evil. If we were to behold that day in the spiritual side of things, it would have been unfathomable to conceive the evil that was being enacted. Could you imagine what the angels felt as they're watching the demons and Satan controlling these angry people to kill the very Son of God? It was dark and it was evil and it was horrific. And yet, before the foundation of the world, God chose that to be the thing that He would use to save mankind from their sins. In the most evil moment of man's history, that was the same moment God used to do the greatest work He ever accomplished, the salvation of souls. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible, guys. And guys, understand this. If this is the case, if God can take such evil like that and turn it around for good, this sin against Joseph and turn it around for this amazing salvation, God can also take the evil that you've intended in your life and turn it around and do something incredible with it. Do something amazing with it. Redeem it for His kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean you go looking for evil, right? The Bible says where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. That's what we see at the cross. That's what we see with the brother's sin. But Paul had to go on to write. He said, now that doesn't mean we continue to sin so that grace may abound. He says, if you died to sin, you cannot live in it any longer, right? And don't test God. Don't be like, I'm going to do something evil just to see what God will do with this thing. Don't t- he doesn't have to make it, turn it into something beautiful. He doesn't have to. He can let you really f- feel the consequences of the evil you choose to commit. So he doesn't need us to commit evil, but it's amazing that he can take the sins of our past and he can turn it into this powerful testimony in your future. He can turn it into something where he redirected your path to do an amazing work in your life. And what's so incredible is that your sin, as you take it to the Lord, it's not just forgiven. You can actually anticipate God doing something good with that evil that you committed. I mean, even in your sin, in your past, there is hope in that sin. I don't know if, str- if you have sin in your past and you struggle with guilt and shame. I encourage you, go to Christ. Understand that he forg- if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And as you do that, you can look back and wait for God to turn that, um, that yucky mess into something beautiful. He can and He will, and He does. He's in the business of doing that. It's incredible. Verse 22. 
So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land. He's referring to the prophecy that God gave Abraham that they would be enslaved for 400 years. God got very specific with Abraham. Joseph would have known about that prophecy. He says, God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So to embalm somebody, it was quite the process. They didn't do it just for anybody. It was, it was a high, very high honor to be embalmed upon your death. You guys watch Night at the Museum? Where, where Larry, he's like, I'm digressing here, but um, <laughs> he just saved the day, and then the dad of the Pharaoh, like the, the main Pharaoh guy, he's like, you've done an amazing work. We will forever honor you by taking all of your organs out, embalming them, and putting them in jewel-encrusted jars. And he's all, oh, thanks. Thanks. That's nice. You know, but they do. They give this honor to Jacob, and they give this honor to Joseph, and they put him in a coffin. Why does it say they put him in a coffin? Because they weren't to bury Joseph. They were preparing him so that they would carry him out one day. So there would be this continual reminder of the coffin of Joseph. That oh man, we can't stick around. We got to take Joseph back to the promised land. God's going to show us when that's going to happen. It'd be this continual reminder of the future promises. Now Hebrews eleven twenty two. It says this about Joseph. It says, By faith, Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. That's what it says in Hebrews about Joseph. I'm like, he did a lot more than that, you know. But of all all that Joseph did, to, to give us an amazing example of faith, in the hall of faith, Hebrews is like, and Joseph, man, he, he was such a man of faith. He said, hey, take my bones to the promised land. What's, what's so great about that faith? Guys, what made this such a shining example of faith was that Jacob, who made the same request, and Joseph, they were acknowledging that God's promises would be fulfilled despite anything that might get in the way, including death itself. That was what he was saying by, hey, take my bones out of here. That was what Jacob was saying by, hey, bury me in the promised land. They saw past their own death to the fulfillment of God's promises. Do you have faith like that? Do you have the faith to look even beyond death and see God's faithfulness? Jacob and Joseph did. It's the same faith as as Abraham. Abraham prepared to sacrifice Isaac the, the chosen son, the one who would be the next patriarch of God's nation. You could say, how could he on earth prepare to kill Isaac, the promised heir, when all of the promises of God were wrapped up in Isaac? He said specifically, it won't be Ishmael, it will be Isaac. And there was Abraham preparing to kill Isaac, the promised son, being obedient to God. How could, 
How could he even reason to do that? He's going to destroy the entire plans of God. No, no. See, Abraham's faith was like Jacob and Joseph's. He saw through death itself. In Hebrews, it tells us that Abraham reasoned with himself, saying that God is able even to raise Isaac from the dead. Therefore, he prepared to sacrifice Isaac. In other words, when Abraham was going to kill Isaac, he wasn't thinking Isaac's going to be dead and gone. He was thinking, well, God's faithful to his promises. Isaac's the promised son. God's telling me to sacrifice him. That just means God's going to raise him from the dead and just keep working his promise in Isaac's life. That was Abraham's faith. He saw through death itself into the faithfulness of God and the fulfillment of God's promises. He's like, God's just going to raise him and we're going to keep on going and life's going to be grand. That's faith, guys. That is amazing faith. Jacob and Joseph, they asked for their bodies to be taken to Canaan because they fully believed they would see the promises of God fulfilled in the promised land. They believed that they would physically live in the promised land and see descendants as great as the sands of the sea and the stars in the sky in multitude. They didn't see that, guys. They had that promise from the Lord, but they never got to see it. But they're like, hey, take my bones, because one day I'll get to see that. I'm going to see that promise fulfilled. They believed that death would only be a short delay in the inevitable fulfillment of God's promises. Do you understand that? Do you have that kind of faith? Death is a mere tiny delay in the inevitable fulfillment of God's promises. When God says it, He will perform it. But what if I die? He will still perform it. I love what Proverbs 23 says. Verses 17 and 18, I'll share it with you. It says, Do not let your heart envy sinners. Don't look at all those sinners out there who are just doing whatever they feel like doing and they're so happy and satisfied and they're having so much fun. Don't, he says, don't let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. Continue to fear God and do the right thing. It might not be the fun thing to do all the time, but it's the best thing to do. Why? Verse 18, for surely there is a hereafter and your hope will not be cut off. The wicked do what they do because they either forget there's a hereafter and they will be accountable for what they've done in eternity or they just outright don't believe that there's a hereafter. But God says, surely there is a hereafter and your hope will not be cut off. So I'm going to close tonight with the same way Genesis closes, with the same thought Joseph had, and that is there is more to come. There is a hereafter. Prepare for your hereafter as Joseph did. He said, hey, make sure you get my bones ready. I want to be a part of the hereafter when I'm resurrected in the promised land to see these promises. And if you follow Jesus, your hope will not be cut off. Even if death itself gets in the way. Your hopes, your dreams, I'd imagine there's a lot of hopes and dreams represented in this room. And you might be tempted to think that Jesus cannot or will not fulfill your hopes and your dreams. You might be tempted to walk away from the Lord, take matters into your own hands and pursue your dreams because you don't trust God with them. 
That is faithlessness. That is the demonstration of faithlessness. Don't go down that road. That is a, that is a, a, a path of regret. That is a path of shame. That is a path where even if you get what you want, you will not be fulfilled. Let me tell you guys, God created you. God gave you the desires in your heart and mind. God intends to be the one to fulfill them fully and completely in His way and His time. You can trust Him with your hopes. You can trust Him with your dreams. He is good. He loves you and He knows what's best for you. But the patriarchs, as they give us this example of faith, it's really this. It's to remain steadfast in the faith even if you have to wait till heaven to see your promises fulfilled. Remain steadfast with the Lord even if you have to wait till heaven to finally get those things that your heart desires. Do you know how many Christians had to go to the grave never experiencing marriage, never experiencing financial security or stability, never even experiencing maybe uh, a full stomach in this world? How many people have died in the Lord never getting to experience even the simple things of life that you've experienced? Does that mean they'll never experience that fulfillment? They're walking in the fullness today in heaven. You can trust God with your desires. You can trust Him. In fact, guys, that is the whole summation of of Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. The author of Hebrews basically says, all of these people, these amazing champions of faith, they had this in common. They did not see the fulfillment of God's promises fully, but they knew it was for a coming day. All of them looked past death and believed that God's promises will be fulfilled. And the author of Hebrews says, and it was because they were waiting for Jesus, that apart from us, who know Jesus, they wouldn't see the promises fulfilled without us. They had to wait for us to get saved. But that is the characteristic of of the men and women in the hall of faith. They were willing to wait to see God fulfilled. There is a hereafter, guys, and your hope will not be cut off in Christ. All your hopes and dreams will be fulfilled beyond your wildest expectations. Trust me. Cling to the Lord. However, if you do not know Christ, if you do not follow Christ, if you do not have faith, you need to understand there is a hereafter for you as well. And apart from Christ, all of your hopes and dreams will be cut off for all eternity. All the desires that God made you to have will forever be unfulfilled. The Bible says that the expectation of the wicked will perish. All the hopes, the dreams, all that the wicked expect to feel, it will come to nothing and it will perish. The Bible says the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Guys, this is what makes a part of what makes hell so awful is that you will spend eternity separated from the one who was meant to fulfill you. The God who was meant to fulfill your hopes and dreams. You will be separated from Him forever because you choose to reject Him. Don't make the the mistake of your life, the mistake of your existence by rejecting the love of God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I urge you, if you have not, to give your life to Jesus Christ. 
And if God's tugging on your heart to do that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. You need to know He created you. He loves you. He died on the cross so that your hereafter would be better than you could imagine. God does not desire that anyone would go to hell or be apart from His fulfillment and His desires. He desires you to experience pleasures flowing from His right hand forevermore. And He has done everything on His side to give you an opportunity. In fact, He went to the grave to do so. And so if you choose to go to hell, it's over Jesus' dead body. It's because you have rejected the God who loves you and who has demonstrated that love. Do not reject it, but receive it if you have not already. Let's all stand. Let's pray. And Father, we want to just thank You that there's such hope in You, Lord. To know the God of creation. To know the God that is the beginning and the end, the Alpha, the Omega. To know the God that is eternal. That has always existed. No creation for You, Lord. You are the one who speaks and we come to life. Lord, there's so much hope in that, especially knowing that You are a God that loves. Especially knowing that You are a God that goes to great lengths to rescue us from our depravity, to rescue us from the miry clay, to pull us out of the pit, even as You did to Joseph and set our feet on the rock. Lord, it, is, it brings great comfort to know You, and I thank You, God, that You have revealed Yourself to many of us And for those, Lord, who are just coming to understand who You are and coming to love uh, this Gospel message that You're working in their hearts, I pray, Lord God, that You give them the courage and strength to make the next step, to receive You as their personal Savior, Jesus. Lord, that their conscience would be cleansed. That they would have a, a, a hope regarding their past. That Your grace covers their sins and that You can use their sins to, to bring about beautiful work in their lives today. And more than that, Lord God, that they would know that they have the hope of eternal life. That they could look through death and not have an expectation of fiery indignation, but that they would have the expectation to to be received by a loving Father through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's you, if you're in here tonight, or maybe you're listening and you would like to receive the Lord as your Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to allow what's happening in your heart to affect your body on the outside by simply raising your hand. So if you'd like to receive Jesus Christ tonight, and you're in here tonight, just raise your hand. Every eye closed, every head bowed, saying, I want to receive Jesus as my personal Savior. I want to make sure that I'm going to heaven. I want to make sure that my sins are forgiven, that I'm reconciled to God. And if you're listening, you can do the same right where you're at and receive Jesus. This is, you don't need me to do this work for you. You take this desire and this prayer to the Lord. And if that's you, and you want to communicate this to the Lord, I'll guide you in a prayer right now. This prayer does not save you. But it's, it gives you a roadmap of what a heart that is being saved communicates to, to the Father. So repeat this prayer after me. Let's all, let's all pray together, church. Let's say, Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father I confess that I have sinned. I, that I, have sinned. I know that sin separates me from you. But I also know that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite You into my life and I turn away from my sins that I can live for You 
in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for listening. If you're hearing this and you'd like to give your life to the Lord now, I invite you to take the next step. Text the words, Ready for Jesus, to 94000, and we can follow up with you. One of our leaders will be able to contact you and get you some free resources to help you grow in the faith. We invite you to come out to our in-person services every Thursday evening at Calvary Tucson's East Campus in the coffee shop area. We meet at 6.30 p.m. for coffee, and our service starts at 7 p.m. In the meantime, keep reading, keep praying, and keep worshiping. God bless you. Don't wait.